0: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour, and Patrick Pister starts now.
1: Hey, everybody, this is the Oil and Gas HSE podcast sponsored by Red Wing. Red Wing's the best in PPE, and you want the best because we want everyone to go home safe every day. I'm your host, Russell Stewart. This is our second and final day in Houston. We're at the Energy Risk and Insurance Conference. You may have already heard our podcast where we interviewed yesterday's keynote speaker, Daniel Wagner. We talked about geopolitics, cyber risk, and AI as it relates to HSE. Today, we'll be talking to an insurance expert, Jeff Hubbard, who has extensive experience in dealing with environmental exposures arising from cyber intrusions. We're at the, but first, this conference is being sponsored by the International Risk Management Institute. That's IRMI, or IRMI as it's called. And we're joined by its Executive Vice President and Chief Content Officer, Joel Applebaum. Joel, thanks for coming in.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. I have a face made for podcasts. (laughs) You and me
1: both. (laughs) Now, I wanted to have you on first for just a few minutes before we get to Jeff, because while this show is specifically targeted in the oil and gas industry to be concerned with health, safety, and the environment, I always say that we should all be concerned about health, safety, and the environment. So this show is really for everyone, and ERMI offers an opportunity that I want you to tell us about for oil and gas folks to perhaps expand their horizons. In fact, I want to set it up by telling you about something that happened yesterday in the networking hour last night. I met a friend of mine who's a small operator, and I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, he said, you know, I was the drilling manager for, for years and years at my company. Then they made me the operations manager. Then the owner of the company retired. And guess what? They said, now you're the risk manager. He said, I don't know anything about insurance and, and, and risk management. So I heard about this ERMY outfit. And I want you to, he said, I'm, I'm going to take this, this program. And they said, when I get through with this program, I'll be golden. So tell us, tell us about this certification
2: absolutely it's my pleasure so the energy risk and insurance specialist certification is really a continuing education program developed by army to help people feel really confident about procuring coverages for the specifically for the energy industry so you know it's five courses you can take them in any way you like on the web in person so we offer both ways to take the the courses and you know i feel you know they're designed to be, you know, unbiased evaluations of the coverages that you need but also the risks that you face as a in the energy industry especially oil and gas and once you've taken the courses there's a requirement for ongoing continuing education which you can get at this conference by coming here by networking by attending the classes by specialists and experts like One of our own guests here, (laughs) we can, you know, you can make sure that you continue to develop and learn and build your network around energy, oil, and gas. Okay. If you want to get more information on how you sign up for this or... You can go to ERMI.com and look under our certifications and sign up right there. It's one of the the best ways you can... And what's the certification actually called? It is called the Energy Risk and Insurance Specialist. We call it ERIS.
1: Eris. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll probably, we'll, we'll post the ERMI website on the show notes. We'll put the uh, ERIS on there. And if folks wanted to get in touch with you to find out more about ERMI or,
2: or that sort of thing, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You can reach out to, you know, ERMI.com, put comments on there and I can make my phone number and available and my Email address is Joel J O E L dot A at Ermi dot com, so you okay. can reach out to me directly.
1: All right, we'll put that on the show notes too. Great. Hey, we Thank really you. appreciate it, and we appreciate Ermi for letting us come here and 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 do these podcasts. You're welcome to stay. As I talk to Jeff, I know you're busy with this conference, so if you need to leave, then 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 that's fine too. So now we turn to pollution liability insurance expert Jeff Hubbard. Good afternoon. Is that a proper way to introduce you, Jeff?
3: Jack of all trades, master of none. So yeah, that, that works just as well as anything else.
1: Well, some folks may be wondering and why we would have a pollution liability insurance expert on HSE podcast, but you actually did a presentation yesterday about cybersecurity and how it relates to pollution issues. So let's talk about that.
3: Sure, sure. The basis of the conversation yesterday was really to begin to get people to think about the change in how cyber risk is changing from what used to be the the single perpetrator kind of sitting in the bottom of his of his basement to living in his mom and dad's house getting into your system asking you for 100 bucks to unlock your computer to a much more wide-ranging geopolitical potential effect it's of course there's still the the individuals who want to hack want to get in and try to make quick money, but more importantly, cyber risks are becoming the weapon of nation states. And the way that our infrastructure is set up with respects to energy, we have begun to use what's referred to as, as smart devices, also referred to as IIOT, the Industrial Internet of Things, which means we have smart devices that take place in the oil field on the wellheads. SCADA systems, pumps, pipelines, smart devices include smart grids, as well as smart meters. And If you think about the way your meter is read at your, at your home, it's no longer somebody coming and actually getting out of a truck, walking to your meter, looking at the numbers. It's a guy in a vehicle that drives down your street and collects data. So the bad guys can essentially do the same thing. Uh, any person that thinks that a hacker is just some lowlife that, that has no skills, that is, is lazy, is really misreading the, the bad guys. These guys are extremely brilliant. They're, they're very motivated. And they can and do develop technology to go in and steal that information with nothing more than just driving down the street. So that's really affected the way we have to view the terrorist writ, risk and the cyber risk in energy. Because these guys now have the opportunity, and through nation states, they have the opportunity to shut down a field. Or from the environmental perspective, it's not so much shutting down a field or shutting down a pipeline. It's overpressuring a pipeline. It's overpressuring a vessel at a refinery, which can be used to create a cataclysmic environmental loss.
1: So the HSE guy thinks cybersecurity is an IT issue but it's really a safety and environmental issue.
3: It's a broad-ranging issue. The way we finished up the presentation yesterday, and, and it was really more of a discussion, was getting people to begin to think about the fact that we have to work together. It's industry, it's insurance, it's IT inside and outside the organization, it's environmental health and safety. Because while the IT guy knows what happens, if somebody hacks into a, a LACT unit in the middle of West Texas. Yeah, now, uh, te- what kind of unit is that? A LACT unit is basically a unit that is used, typically, it's done by a card system where you deposit crude oil or you remove c- crude oil that's then taken to market. It's unmanned. So it's generally done by card lock, essentially, a, a swipe card. And then the data, as far as the amount of oil in the tank, the amount of oil taken out of the tank, that's all fed back to the company through wireless, through wireless technology, essentially your cell phone. That is a weak, a weak link, effectively, because just like we can get hold of that information and it gets reported back to the company, a hacker can break through that network, and if they so choose, they can turn on the pumps, at that lack unit, and empty the entire contents of the tank. That's purely within their their abilities. So
1: what measures are people turning to to protect themselves against this sort of thing?
3: Well, the first thing is you have to have robust systems, and you have to have robust firewalls. You have to have the series of systems that make it more difficult for somebody to get into your system what we try to do is we try to tell people to think about the risk of your own home. Nowadays, hackers that get into your home network, many times they don't go through your general router. They try to utilize things like Nest Thermostats or Alexa or Google Home to get into your system. So as a corporation, we first have to build very tight networks that account for not only the main systems, but all of these perihelions that attach to it to make sure that there's no point of entry beyond just the, the main computer system. You have to educate folks. People that are sitting at your desk handling accounts payable, accounts receivables, to the, the local assistant who's just working on behalf of an executive. She has the ability or he has the ability to click on a, a, an email and give the hacker access, as well as, as an engineer or EHS person, it's very easy to get in. So we have to build robust systems. We have to educate our employees so that they understand the risk and they understand how to identify the risk. And then we also have to look at the concepts of insurance. Insurance is there to fix what's broken, but the best path is always to prevent. Right, right. Those are the primary things we look at as far as how to deal with the, the threat.
1: You know, talking about the threat, I was in, in one of your presentations yesterday, and someone told a story about some CEO where they actually hacked him through his
3: toaster. Correct. It's, you know, you, you always wonder, why do you, need a, why do you need a toaster attached to your home network? I still don't think we have an answer for that, but when you look at it, and you look at it from an industry level, those same kind of examples exist. We, we, we all, as industry, have our toasters that are attached to our networks. And the reality is, when you look back at it, particularly if that's the input, the, the point that a hacker gets into, you think, why in the world did I need a toaster attached to my network? Yeah, right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it, it certainly makes you more vulnerable.
1: Well, you know, you, uh, I, I guess you handled a claim, I told another interesting story where hackers got into the network and messed up everybody's royalty payments, held them for ransom on that? or
3: Right, right. You know, The one thing in our business, particularly on exploration and production, you have royalty interest holders, and the royalty interest holders expect their checks. In this particular case, the hacker got in and shut down their systems so that they couldn't issue royalty checks. The only way to resolve the issue was to pay the ransom. And... At that point, the hacker would gladly open up the system and let you write royalty checks. So the company has a dilemma at that point. Do they try to figure it out themselves and delay their royalty checks for two weeks, 30 days, have to begin to deal with very irritated royalty interest holders? Or do they just simply write a check to the hacker and let him open up the system? In this particular case, they paid the ransom and and, and moved on. Understand why they would do that, because they felt like that was the, the path of least resistance and had to get back online. But by the same token, every time you, you give into that, you're also creating the next opportunity for that hacker. He got what he wanted, and he's not going to stop until he doesn't get what he wants. So just curious, was there insurance coverage for that? That's not something I can comment on. You can't, huh? <laughs> 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 Terribly sorry, but no. You'll just have to, can you, to decide, can you, decide can, for yourself.
1: Can you get insurance coverage for that?
3: Yes, yes, Okay. it's a very robust market now. Cyber liability policies come in, in various shapes and sizes. The one thing you always have to be wary of is no policy is the same. So wording is extremely important. You have to read the policy. Whether you're in the environmental arena or the, the cyber arena, the one thing we tell clients consistently is read your policy.
1: Okay, but but I've seen insurance policies they're written by lawyers and they you know they're in like 6 point font and they're 40 pages you know so do you really expect me to read my policy
3: that's why you employ a good broker and a, a good agent the reality is your your insurance broker your insurance agent should be doing that on your behalf and should be boiling it down to more of layman terms that you understand so that you understand the risk that you're continuing to assume even under that policy what's insured, what's not, what's not insured, and what you need to do in a claim.
1: Okay. So that's, so, so what you should do is, is you should ask your broker, have they read the, read the policy? Do they know the policy? And I guess what you just kind of outlined here, you should have maybe a list of questions that you ask your broker, you know, does it do this? Does it do that? Or maybe what it doesn't do, what the exclusions are, or,
3: yeah, I mean, you, you always want to be an informed consumer so that you understand what your policy does and doesn't do. But what we suggest is take the time internally to sit down with your finance folks, your EHNS folks, your IT folks, and ask the question what happens if? Because each one of those constituencies will have a different answer. IT will have a different answer as to what happens if they have a cyber attack versus finance. Because finance views it from a a completely monetary perspective. EHS is going to view it from a health and safety and environmental impact. And IT is going to view it from a, how's this deal with my computer system? What am I going to have to rebuild? What is it going to take to get back online? So first start with those internal groups because that's your constituency. And then take those questions and those comments to your insurance broker and start asking the questions. Does this policy respond to X? Does it respond to Y? So that you become an informed consumer. And also, you can go back and answer those questions for all of your constituencies. You can tell finance, yes, our policy will respond to what you were concerned about.
1: And actually, a good broker should actually be also telling you what you need to be concerned about on the IT side or on the HSE side or on the you know oh,
3: absolutely the, the carrier and the broker should have a vast amount of knowledge as far as what claims look like in this this arena uh, what the risks are in this arena so that they can articulate some of the things they've seen particularly on the carrier side the, the carriers who are in this space they see the claims they know what's happening they know what the newest trends are they know what the newest viruses are They can be great sources of information and a huge help to designing a program that really works for you and your company. Every now and then you have to ask, but many brokers and agents will be more than happy to give you input and bring in a carrier that has a good, robust program. Maybe they have their own cyber experts. Maybe they have their own cyber response teams. They'll make those available to you. Those are fantastic people to talk to. Number one, they're actually incredibly interesting for an insurance person, but they've seen it, they've done it, they've lived it, so they can tell you what happens in real life.
1: And I might add, Jeff, you're you're the expert in all this. You're actually the guy behind the brokers and and those. You're not selling directly to the to the consumer or anything. You're actually helping the brokers on these things.
3: Correct. Correct. Okay. We are technical experts. Our our firm. Is a series of technical experts, whether it be cyber, environmental, construction, there's a number of different verticals in our firm, but we do not focus on just general risk. We focus on very specific classes of risk, and we are each technical experts in our specific tower of risk. Mine, of course, is environmental. And with that comes the cyber risk associated with environmental loss. So how long have you been doing that? Since before God created dirt. (laughs) I joined the insurance industry in 1990. I started out in risk management. Uh, That's where I kind of cut my teeth on environmental. So in 1990...
1: you were cutting your teeth on environmental. It, I'm trying to figure out because environmental really wasn't an issue in the oil and gas industry for a long, long time.
3: No, no, it wasn't. But I actually I went to work for a company that manufactured plumbing supplies, whether it was a a, a porcelain toilet or a cast iron sink or a, a gas valve. So we had our own set of issues, and I got there very early in my career. My boss said we have an issue with the EPA. Go see if we have coverage. Here are all our policies. So that was my first experience that into environmental. That was an
1: introduction into environmental it, and risk management.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was pretty daunting for a, a, a young person just coming out of school. But it, it's been fun.
1: So if, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can do that?
3: They're certainly, they can go to the Brown and Writing website.
1: Okay, we'll post that on the show notes.
3: Perfect, perfect. They can also, on the Brown and Writing website, is my contact information, my email, as well as my, my phone number. Okay. Uh, all right. People are certainly welcome to to reach out that way. So what's the most interesting claim? Most interesting claim.
1: Pure pollution? Well, yeah, or if you got one, we don't have to stick with just one.
3: Okay. Most interesting claim in my tenure doing this was September fourth. I guess that would have been two thousand five. It was right after Katrina came in. So I was I remember it absolutely like it was yesterday. September fourth is my wife's birthday. And so I'm glad you remember that. Yeah, thank goodness. I'm horrible with dates. But so we got up, we headed off to church, we're sitting in church, and my phone rings. And I look down at my phone and it's the risk manager for this this entity. And I thought, wow, he never calls me. Yeah, particularly on the weekend, and so I just hit ignore. Well, 30 seconds later, the phone rings again. It's the same risk manager. I thought, okay, so, something, something's, something's, something's yeah, not good right, here, right? right. So I, I step outside, answer the phone, and risk manager's first words out of his mouth were, we have a problem. And unfortunately, they had had an issue related to Katrina. It was a, a very significant issue. So I got to spend my wife's birthday basically making phone calls to insurance adjusters, to insurance carriers, trying to get them mobilized into South Louisiana to begin to deal with the issue. So was it a pollution claim? Well, Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. All right. It made for a fun day, but it also made for a very irritated spouse when I got home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're winding this thing down. Since this is an HSE show, we always try to have what we call the red wing safety tip of the week. Anything that company or entity could have done to have mitigated that problem, or are we just, you know, there's just some things you can't, can't do anything about?
3: Hey, you know, sometimes God just decides to be God. And in this case, I'm not sure a whole lot of, could have been done about it. Katrina was a significant event that hopefully never happens again. I can't say there was a whole lot to be done in this particular case, but what we tell clients every day is just pay attention. Pay attention to your surroundings. If you have storage tanks, if you have pipelines, be mindful of the maintenance. Don't put it off. What you spend in maintenance up front, you'll save on the back end with respects to claims. So just work hard at the maintenance and that'll help you on the back end. And you'll protect
1: people and you'll protect the environment. Correct. That's that's a great that's a great safety tip hey everyone we're going to post these links uh, so you can get a hold of Ermi or you can get a hold of jeff we're going to also post a link to the show notes oilandgasglobalnetwork.com events so you can find out about oil and gas happenings that uh, might be of interest to you please help us out and support the show by leaving us a good review on itunes and as jeff said be safe out there folks You know, remember those famous last words. What does this button do? And be cautious, be careful, and never be complacent. Thanks,
3: Jeff.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil & Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil & Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at LeanOilField.com. From Houston, to London, to Dubai, and beyond.